Downtown in Business is the fastest growing business organisation in the UK. Working with decision makers from over a thousand companies across the country in Liverpool, Lancashire, Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, Cheshire, Wolverhampton, Newcastle and London with more locations to follow. Through an extensive and exciting events programme and through our social media platforms, we connect our members with other businesses who can help them grow. And we engage with senior politicians and officials at local, regional and national level to promote business-friendly policies. To join Downtown in Business, please visit our website. That's all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Why don't you get involved with the fastest growing business organisation in the UK? Hi, this is Frank McKenna, Chief Executive Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. Welcome back to the Downtown Den. I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by a very, very long-standing member. I was going to say old then, Jane, but that would be absolutely outrageous. A long-standing member of Downtown, and it's Jane Moore, who is the head honcho, of course, at Moore Media. Now, Jane, we probably seven, eight years ago, maybe... Uh, sat at uh, Indigo having lunch. How it was actually was 10 that? years ago. 10 Frank, years ago. A decade ago. Uh, we sat at Indigo and, and you sort of parted ways with your previous agency. And we were having a chat and you said to me, I'm just going to go freelance, Frank. I've had enough of trying to deal with staff and growing a business. I'm just going to do my own thing. Uh, so how's that going 10 years uh, later? Well, yeah, that didn't last long, did it? Um, I'm a big believer in taking quality work and working with amazing people. And uh, to my uh, shock or delight, I was very much in demand at the time. Uh, so it got to a point where I couldn't deliver to the quality I wanted. Uh, so I had to grow because in order to continue to work with amazing people and operate at the quality I want to operate with, I needed to make sure I had a support staff. So, so there's 14 of us now. <laughs> So yeah, that didn't last long at all. Um, but I am really lucky that the people I've got around me all share the same kind of values about delivery. I, I think I, I, I tend to employ people pleasers who really want to over delight their clients um, and achieve more than they need to achieve. So we we do have an amazing team around us of both marketing and PR specialists now. But, uh, but that didn't last long at all, did it? <laughs> it was so, worse. Yeah, so 14 staff from... from- yeah. An ambition of none. And I still don't want to have any, really. But, <laughs> but, um, but I think they manage me now. They manage me rather than the other way around, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, every morning I go in and, and they sort of lay out my day for me and say, right, okay, be here, be there, and it's great. Well, I was going to ask you the, the question, actually, because I worked for a time as a freelance consultant, and um, it was okay. Um, but I found myself, it was nothing to do with... Um, that the reasons that you've given in terms of wanting to start downtown and, and start to employ people and so on, I found it quite isolating at times, you know, and it can be a lonely old place anyway as a business owner. But when you've actually not got a team and you're working as a freelance consultant, that can bring its own challenges, can't it? Absolutely. And I think for me, having exited a team of, what, 20 at the time when I left, um, I'm going to just be me. Yes, I was in charge of my own destiny. Yes, I earned more than I've ever earned and, and then and still because you know, the, the retainer was all mine. 
Um, but at the same time, it is really isolating. It is really lonely. Um, and I think that's one of the, the, the benefits that I now understand working and supporting chief execs and, and leaders of businesses that I can really get inside that space of knowing how difficult those decisions are and how lonely it is. And one of the things I'm doing at the moment is developing a kind of group, particularly for female leaders, called Speakeasy, because women need to have a safe space to share and a safe space to kind of come together. So on the request of my clients, I'm kind of creating this sort of dinner club called Speakeasy, uh, where we can come together and uh, and support each other. So it's outside of the client relationship, um, but actually they're really powerful in those spaces where you can add lots of value and then the group can collaborate and support each other more. Yeah, and that is important, isn't it? Being able to have pe- you know people around you who you, you can bounce ideas off, but also, you know, share some anxieties, some problems, some challenges. And I guess you're at the stage now, you know, a decade into your new business where although you, you, you're the boss, you've still got people within that team who you can go to and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Yeah. I'm having a bit of a shit day. Yeah. Can you help me out? Well, well, the last three years particularly have been tough for me personally. I've had lots of health issues. Uh, anyone who knows me knows 17 years ago I had chemotherapy and that, survivorship brings its own health problems. So 17 years on, I, uh, I developed a paralyzed diaphragm, for example, uh, which led to lots of you know, breathlessness and, and feeling unwell. Um, so my senior team had to step up. So one of the, the joys of having gone through that transition from being hands-on operational MD to now chief exec with a senior leadership team, it's a real evolution um, in actually the clients that we've got now, some of them I don't really even know intimately in the detail of the, the projects that I would normally know because it would normally be me leading that business development or that uh, strategy or that PR campaign. I would always be the, the voice in the middle of it. We have had to step back and had to put in processes that support the team and support me and support the clients. So that then gives me a quality management overview and a strategic overview rather than actually an operational overview. So that's been quite interesting. Um, and obviously having to be forced out of the business in the way I was, I was in hospital during COVID, as many of you know, um, and I, I had to take stock and I had to evolve and grow in order to allow that to happen. Um, and that growth can be painful, you know, um, both from a cash flow point of view and an operational point of view. There's been lots of lessons along the way, but those lessons we take into our working projects and we support our client leaders because we better understand what that is from a personal point of view. I think it's a bit like, you know, it's like a doctor heal themselves. That, you know, old saying about plumbers having leaky taps. Often your own operation and your own processes are secondary to the client work. So we've really had to put our house in order um, and grow our service offer because we were doing it for clients informally and we had to formalise all of that process. In terms, it's interesting what you say there in terms of, you know, you ha- you were forced to, to take a step back from business because freak. of your, your health issues. I didn't want to. I, and I was going to say, you know, the the challenge of actually delegating for, for mm-hmm. business owners, business leaders it is tough. Uh, and the other thing um, that we suffer from, and I think all businesses suffer from to an extent, is clients, as we call them members, who say, well, I just want to see Frank. And of course, they only want to me. 
And Absolutely. you know, I've got a team of people who are better than me anyway, doing what they want us to do. Um, so how have you found that transition? Because there must have been a point up until you fell ill where people will just say, well, I want to see Jane. Absolutely. And, you know, I am still very much involved in every project um, and clients will still call me. And if there's a problem, it's less and less these days, thankfully. Um, and the way that my team brief me, I'm very much informed on all the, the detail. So I can jump in if I needed to. So the way I sit outside of the project is a troubleshooter. So I can jump in if I need to. Um, I don't need to these days, which is wonderful because my team are really strong. Um, but yeah, there was that point of transition. And I suppose COVID helped in a sense because um, there's, a, there's a process we use in our clients called a Boston Matrix where we look at the kind of client makeup and you look at the, the profitable clients and the, the rising stars and the ones who are problem children. So I suppose COVID did that for me. We got rid of a lot of the problem, problem children um, and we deliberately moved sectors just before COVID, really, we'd moved out of hospitality and leisure, for example. And I always joke and say that a lot of those, uh, well, I really respect the, the hospitality sector. They were trying to pay me in roast dinners and do that kind of, you know, have a free account. <laughs> it doesn't really pay the mortgage and doesn't pay my, my rent and my rates. So I'd made the decision to move away from that. Um, and that was the sector where I was very hands-on. Um, and I, I joke now and say every time we opened a venue or a hotel, I'd put a stone on because I'd be hosting people for lunch and dinner every day. Um, and I'm getting too old to take the weight off these days, Frank, so I'm yeah. to move away. So we just took the decision to move into construction and uh, the, kind of the, the built environment and placemaking sector very deliberately at that time. And I think that served us well because we kind of cleared the decks a little bit of those um, very needy leisure clients because they're needy because their GP is so fine that they're all over you with a very small retainer. Um, and the sector we moved into is a bit more mature in its space. So it allows you to be more, um, more dynamic in the service you offer. And at that point, we also moved from being a pure PR offer to a full service strategic marketing agency with, you know, Rachel Bampton-Aiken, who you all know, leading our strategy work. But Rachel's also a business coach. So sometimes we have to work with boards to get them out of their own way to achieve their strategic objectives. So we, we sort of send Rachel in to fix those human elements of, uh, of the marketing piece, which is more than just a marketing piece, really, does that make sense? Um, and I end up becoming a critical friend for the leaders in that team to help them be held to account to deliver what we've set out that they do in that first piece of work in the strategy piece, um, as well as then delivering great campaigns. So we to hold the, the board to account, but we also support them in that way to make sure that they, uh, they can deliver what we want them to do. It's a unique approach in many respects because there's some business support within there as well. Yeah. And what I've noticed in terms of the people we both work with, yeah. and you've been very kind to introduce me to quite a number of your clients. Only because it works. Is right? that? Oh, absolutely. Um, is that? And, and if it doesn't, you're the first one to tell me <laughs> it's not working. Um, but I, I think you know the relationship that you and your team have w with those people stands out. And um, you know, I'll, I'll just give. Sutcliffe a shout out because they're going to be on this Meet the Partner series as well later uh, in the season. But 
you know, they've just hosted this massive charity ball, raised like £50,000, so on and so forth. Um, but it was almost on the night of that occasion that the more media team were part of the Sutcliffe team. And that's very much our offer, is that we become your in-house team. Um, you know, I often take clients to, I'll, I'll always say to a client that we're a bit, I'm a bit like Nanny McPhee. So I'm only there when you need me. Because sometimes clients treat you like your wallpaper and they stop relying on you and they stop seeing your value. So at that point, we resign the account. Some agencies will happily sit on a retainer because that's the nature of our industry. And that's probably what's wrong with our industry, really, is that all too often people become complacent in those relationships. But we are that dynamic team that move in and prop you up and support you and drive you forward. If you're not interested in growing, then I'm not interested in working with you because I can't feel successful if you're not prepared to take that journey and that step towards growth. Um, so, you know, I probably turn away more work than I take on, if I'm honest, because you can see people who share that value set um, and people who are prepared to invest to make it work. And obviously they have to invest in time as well as financially. It's not all about money for me. It's all about sharing that energy that's going to feel that you are achieving something great. Um, and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, you know, with the many health issues. I love going to work in the morning. I have this battle with my daughter most mornings because she hates going to school and I love going to work. And it's this dichotomy of the drive to school in the morning, <laughs> but actually do what you love. There's no reason to do something if you don't get some joy out of it. Um, and my team literally love what they do. Uh, and they would fall under a bus for our clients to fight for them. And particularly in the crisis comm space, I have to believe and I have to really know that I trust what I'm being given. And we go out swinging for clients. But uh, but God help anyone who crosses one of my clients. <laughs> um, but, but, but we do become like a family. And thank you for acknowledging that because it's, it's what we set out to do. Um, so with Sutcliffe in particular, I've encouraged them to think about recruiting their own team because that's the sustainable way to grow a business. Um, and today, you know, while we love them, we don't want them to go. Um, it would be the natural order of things that they then recruit their own people and we pass them up and train them. And but actually they want to keep working with us because they can either have one person in house or 14 of us with very specialist skills um, who can deliver multifaceted accounts that, uh, sorry, multifaceted campaigns that make a difference. And I think that's a testament to the work that you do with the clients that you work alongside. Yeah, yeah. So let, let me just take you through your journey in terms of marketing then, you know, on a personal level, uh, because when you started out. I was bold. Um, you were bold when you joined us, yeah. <laughs> um, when you became a member of Downtown. But, you know, listen, the world of marketing. Now, we were just chatting so before dynamic. we came in in terms of, you know, TikTok and clicks and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm guessing that when you started out in this game, it was basically a press release. And if you get it in the echo, you've done your job, yeah? Well, when I was an editor of a magazine, Frank, in Birmingham, all those years ago, we had that recent conversation about me going back to Birmingham with you. And 22 years ago, I was the editor of a lifestyle magazine in the Midlands, which I owned. Uh, with a business partner. And I think uh, it took me three goes to realise I didn't need a business partner. So I'm, I'm finally realised I don't need one. Um, 
I used to get sent floppy disks and slides uh, instead of photographs. So in a printed press release and my keyboard on my, my then PC, which was I think a 16 gigabyte PC with dial up uh, internet connection that makes me feel really old. My keyboard used to end up about three foot in the air before deadline because all the press releases I was interested in, I'd store them so I could then write through them before the, the end of the deadline. Um, and people used to send stuff up to Birmingham on a, a bike courier so that I'd photograph them and feature them. It was nuts. Whereas with now it's all so instant and so digital. Um, and actually the the sadness of journalism today is that the, it is about clicks. You know, if you look at our local paper, at Liverpool Echo, it is about clicks because they are monitored by pay-per-click ads that support the editorial content. Whereas in the old days, it was very much the other way around. Um, and I'm quite excited and also a little bit terrified in the right level of respect, really, for these independent news titles coming through who don't give a flying monkey about clicks. Um, they are holding people to account. Um, and it's kind of like the old days doing battle with a journalist again when the, the press inquiry comes through because you know it's going to be a bit of a rogue story but actually it's how you then contain that and work with them to produce an article that is factual um, that's when our job shifts it's less about kind of uh, a press release it's about a factual crisis piece um, but it's a very different pitch I, I, I mean I don't like the way in which marketing and PR has moved. I, I have to be honest. And I think, you know, it's a sad time for newspapers and I understand why print is struggling and they need to go down this route of clicks and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but I think, you know, the fact that people don't buy newspapers these days, the fact that a lot of the stuff online is, is, is basically bullshit. Um, there's no checks, there's no balances. There's even, news channels out there now that don't have to abide by Ofcom rules. You know, I think we're in a dangerous place. And I think the other sad thing is, and you sort of um, alluded to this in terms of these new independent products that are emerging in the market. That's like so the post and po- yeah, things yeah, like that you're talking about. The post. Yeah. Um, a few of them it, is that at least there's a bit of investigative journalism coming back because again, when you look at not just our city, but, you know, you, you look at the MPs expenses scandal, for example, you look at the fact that the chair of the BBC had to resign on Sunday. Absolutely. That was at the weekend. That was all to do with the fact that an investigative journalist had found out that he facilitated a loan for Boris Johnson. But I do think we're losing that. And I, I just wonder from, you know, if you, you take yourself out of the job, but look more from a societal point of view, whether that's a concern for you. Well, absolutely. You know, there's nothing I love more than being held to account for um, for a story. And I think clickbait is the demise of newspapers. You know, I think I was, uh, back in Ali McRae's days, I held him to account on a story about... He was the editor of The Echo, yeah. Echo, yeah. Um, and he now delivers our media training, bless him. We've got a great relation with Ali, always have had. Um, and Maria, the, the new editor. But there is a... Society has shifted to the point where everyone's a journalist. They've got Twitter, they've got TikTok, <laughs> um, they'll live stream crisis issues. But at the same time, there is no boundary. You know, uh, I think we both shared a story this weekend about the the guy who'd taken a, a Labour MP to call uh, to child services. Yeah. 
over the fact that he didn't yeah. agree, agree with their political views, yeah. Yeah. that's a step too far. Yeah. And I think we all have to have a little bit of responsibility and personal accountability in what we say online. You know, we've had the, the recent incident with our lovely friend Pete Price, who's been filmed uh, in the, in, on a day off in the races, enjoying himself and, and goaded until he reacted. Now, actually, you know, it's everyone's after their five minutes of fame on social media. There are, you know, income they can generate through these clicks. It can be life-changing for somebody in a good way and in a bad way. You know, and I've once fallen victim of, uh, of somebody who I commented on. Uh, a local radio presenter was talking about her workouts. She worked out until she was sick. And as a young woman, as a mother of a young woman, I thought that was irresponsible. So I called her out on it openly on Twitter, which I probably shouldn't have done. And I then went to sleep on a Sunday afternoon after lunch, as you do, woke up to a barrage of abuse of people fat shaming me because I'd obviously never been in a gym. Um, you know, these people who were defending their you know, person they were fans of at my cost. Thankfully, I've got skin like a rhinoceros and I can take it. But I had that moment of thinking, oh, my God, what's this? You know, you can say the wrong thing and it's, you know, you're cancelled in an instant, essentially. Um, and that does worry me because our kids are victim to that. Often they live in that space where it's okay to say whatever they think without consequence. And there needs to be a level of consequence in it. But in terms of, you know, uh, rogue stories, I always triple check and fact check stories before we put them out because I've once fallen victim to a rogue who lied that he was who he was. I put a press release out and it turned out it was all fake. So fake news is something I'm really, really sensitive to. And we have lots of controls and measures in place to make sure we put out evidence-based fact-checked stories because I'd never want to be accused of fake news. Um, I got bitten once in my previous agency um, and I won't do it again. Yeah. That's the difference between PR and me. You see, you call it fake news, I call it bullshit. Well, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> it's all the same thing. It is. Um, so. It, but it's at what point does it become real? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that people are becoming more aware of the stuff that's online. Can't be as trusted as something, yeah. let's say. And, you know, somebody said to me, the only thing that you can believe in a newspaper is the date. But <laughs> I, I actually, I don't, I, I don't subscribe to that view. Um, and I understand and appreciate that, you know, newspapers have their own agenda. You know, if you want to read the Daily Mail, then obviously it's going to be very right wing. Uh, if you want to read the Mirror, then there's a left wing slant. But at least you are aware yeah. of the, the bias within those pages, whereas with these online warriors, you don't know what's there, what's that, and, and half of them are anonymous and half of them are robots. So oh, well, I've recently been victim of a, uh, a campaign uh, of freedom of information requests about me. I think you, you and I were both tagged in on some stuff. Um, <laughs> They're always asking them for me. For me, it baffles me. I live in Kenny. I've got a really normal life. I don't, ha I don't have a Rolls Royce in the drive, you know, but somebody has taken their time. in the time. garage. Yeah. Um, somebody's taking time to make a freedom of information request about me making allegations about me when they've never met me. Now, that was a tiny moment. Somebody that, and, and then the same person then sent it to a new client of mine trying to lose me work. And I don't know what I've ever done to somebody to make that thing happen. And I'd love to have a cup of tea with them because I'm sure once they met me, they'd know I'm really normal and quite lovely. Thank you very much. But actually the, the kind of, 
I wonder and I worry for the rage that's inside someone that drives them to that. And, you know, there's a really clear link to, you know, positive mental health and negative mental health. Um, and I, the offer is out there. If anyone's really cheesed off with me, then come and have a cup of tea. Uh, I'll have my bodyguards with me like, but, you know, um, just open dialogue, you know, have a conversation rather than try and take me down by getting a client to sack me. Honestly, there's bigger things I'd worry about. But there's, you know, that we do sadly live in an environment now, don't we, where people can be anonymous, hide behind, as I say, social media and other platforms as well. Uh, and freedom of information was introduced um, by Labour government back in 97, 98 for all the right reasons, but it's totally abused now. Oh, completely. I mean, it was never brought in to allow people to write into the local authority and ask them who got the contract for tipping up a pavement step. But more importantly, have I ever met with a list of people who are under investigation? And I haven't, by the way. But it, but I think, you know, as I say, I think those are the the, the things that, you know, again, we as a, as a community need to look at ourselves and say, well, you know, you've got a local authority, not just in Liverpool, any city, where they've got scarce resources and they're having to deal, you know, by law with... Again, I'll call them bull, call them out, you know, the, the bullshit. bullshit. Yeah, no, it is, absolutely. Um, and, and not, by the way, just from residents who might have a bit of a cop on, from councillors. Yeah. I mean, most, <laughs> of the, most of the freedom of information requests about me come from Lib Dem councillors. Oh, and I gosh. keep saying to Mr. Kemp, Councillor Kemp, come in and have a chat and we'll open our books and you can have a look. They'll feel sorry for me and throw some money in. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's get off the, the, the personal let's moment. Let's our actions. You, you know, at the end of the day, you know, as, as you've created now a, a very successful agency, you're here in Liverpool, but you're looking to expand. And you've come to, well, you've gone back to Birmingham because well, as you mentioned home. there, yeah, you yeah, did yeah. A, a magazine there 22 years ago. My darling husband, Max, who, if I'd known his name was Derek, I would never got a second date. <laughs> uh, he is born and bred in Birmingham. And I met him when the ship was in port in Liverpool. And uh, part of our early days of our relationship 32 years ago, I moved to London to work as a makeup artist in Harrods and then ended up in Birmingham. And uh, when he was away in the Falkland Islands, I took him home essentially. So I spent nine years in Birmingham and it was a really, really amazing city for me. It was before the big dig of the bull ring, uh, you know, and we were that kind of title that was breaking the news because we, as an independent publisher, and this is probably where a lot of my learning came from, we can, we can move like lightning. What like, was it called, the magazine? Boutique magazine with two O's, not with a U. Um, and it was a kind of a, a lifestyle magazine, which really represented me at my age at 29, then you know, 29 and 30. It was, you know, covering all the aspects of lifestyle and leisure, beauty, fashion. Uh, and then we moved into home interiors and we threw a big party in Brindley Place. So when we went for lunch at Bank in Brindley Place that time, I had this real moment of going, oh my God, 20 years ago I was here. And we threw the biggest party that basically opened Brindley Place, um, sponsored by Lovely Pims. So a crazy event. And uh, I'd forgotten that part of my life. Because the magazine folded, as all these independent magazines do, crashed and burned with a, a liquidation. And that was a painful lesson in how not to run a business, really. You know, 
you don't make money when you print 30,000 copies a month uh, in an independent magazine. You never, ever make money. So that's why I support lots of independent, independent publishers now and I've mentored lots of them coming through because it's really important to me that we have that broad set of media. Otherwise, how am I going to get my clients featured? Um, so going back then, uh, Birmingham was in its infancy, really, and in its early sort of emerging out of recession, going from being a metal bashing area into becoming what it is today after Commonwealth Games. And I really had this moment with you in the sunshine in Brindley Place. I thought, oh, the time is now. So we are still exploring where and how and who we're going to work with. I need to recruit local people down there because I don't want to be that agent that parachutes in, takes the money in and runs like a lot of them try and do here. So we're growing that authentic base and I'm doing it by coming down to events that you run, uh, making friends and contacts and developing from there. Uh, and Rob Valentine so far has been amazing for Brumwood. Um and it's involved lots of uh, karaoke and lots of late night drinking sessions <laughs> with DB3, lovely Nathan and Charlotte. So, you know, I'm forging that authentic start. Um, I just need to to really have some time to spend down there, which I'm probably going to do in the summer when George is off so we can go down and she can stay with grandma and granddad while I work the city a bit more um, to start building our recruitment and stuff through that. Excellent. But, uh, but I love it. And there's a real... It's like revisiting your 30-year-old self. You know, I stayed in uh, a hotel this week in Brindley Place and I'd forgotten that I had my 30th birthday party as the dry run of the hotel with 45 of my closest friends and family staying over and testing the hotel before they opened. And it was, you know, you walk into reception and think, I've been here before. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, it all comes back. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that kind of remembering my misspent 30s and early, late 20s. So, um, so I know that the clients that you work with now uh, operate across the country anyway. So, yeah. although you're based in Liverpool, you cover the national Absolutely. stuff as well. Um, but will Birmingham be the sort of final phase of growth, or would you be looking at well, other cities? There's talks of an international office, and I won't go too much into it yet. Um, I'm very open to opportunity. So if the right thing comes along and it meets with my due diligence, then we'll always move it forward. The beauty of being one decision maker uh, in a, an owner, owner business, I can be a little bit more dynamic in making decisions than perhaps when you've got a board of directors to appease. Um, for me, it's always about the right people and the right clients. By the right people, I mean the right staff um, and the right projects. So we have a really clear almost value set test that meet our criteria or don't. And sometimes if things are too hard, it's because it's not, it doesn't feel right. And we then do our due diligence to, to sideline that project um, because it's got to fit with everyone else that we work with. You know, you can't put, it was actually Chris McGuire. Do you remember Chris McGuire? It was inside. Yeah, it's now yeah. business cloud. Yeah. Uh, he held me to account once because I'm, I forced him to come to Liverpool uh, and give me a day of his time where he interviewed all of my clients in a row. And he said to me at the end of the day, I don't think you quite realise what you've got here. He said, there is probably the most impressive group of people I've met in a day ever. But he said, your responsibility now is to hold your next client to the same standards. 
So, and I, I then took somebody on because somebody asked me to help somebody and I thought, oh, we'll give it a go. And he wasn't to the same standard, really. And Chris said to me, he's not one of yours. You can't represent him because he doesn't meet the same kind of level. So that's quite challenging in itself. You know, when you take somebody on, try and explain that without having this huge ego and sound like a complete knobhead. Um, but I do, I, I see the potential in people to be great. And I can see if we just move them out their own way sometimes, they can achieve great things. But at the same time, I can still, I can also see egos at a thousand paces. Um, and I always say to clients, the minute you turn into a knobhead, I'll drop the account. We don't do ego. We don't do, you know, prima donnas. Um, and I will walk away. And, uh, and there's probably a, about five clients in my time where I've literally dropped the mic and gone because they turn into egomaniacs on the back of the work we do for them and start believing their own hype. And I won't get involved in that. I manage my own ego first, Frank. <laughs> when I start talking about myself in the third person, then it's time to retire. You know? So listen, final point in terms of um, more media, the client base that you've got, what, what is the sort of typical profile of, of a more media client these days? It's really somebody going for growth and change. There is no point in bringing me in if you want me to sit pretty and just, you know, stroke your ego. It's not what we do. So it's sometimes businesses going through the journey to an exit. So if they're going through their succession planning, that's really powerful. Or if they're going through uh, an acquisition or a transaction, they bring me in beforehand to help build, build asset value. You know, somebody with a dream and a vision to grow. That's really what it's about. If you haven't got the, as we've got the balls to change and grow, then you're not for us. You know, you've got to be quite focused. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, we're ourselves challenged all the time. We've now started doing boot camps, for example, where we're delivering training for the next generation of marketers coming through. And like going back, as you said earlier, the industry is changing daily and there are new algorithms coming through all the time. So in order to keep my team relevant, I send them on, you know, the most up-to-date conferences and courses and and bringing that through for the future of the next generation for the industry is really important to me. So we're delivering fully funded boot camps with the Department of Work and Pensions. Um, and one of my team went on that from indeed. our communications and media team in and downtown. And she, had, she had a fabulous time. So, you know, she come back with loads of great new ideas. So well worth doing that's Great. for sure especially because it's fully funded as well it's yeah, there's no yeah. risk to the business yeah. um and it's about helping you drive forward but also creating a sustainable model for us sometimes the challenge for us is when we have a client and they don't have anyone in house with marketing knowledge things take a bit longer so really it's about us helping ourselves to be better by putting somebody in house who can help us achieve what we need to do and build a sustainability model because not everyone will always afford to pay for us long term. And that's why I say I'm like Nanny McPhee. Because when you don't need me anymore, I'm gone. I've got another project to move on to. And I'm not as, I'm obviously as good looking as Nanny McPhee as well. Um, but it is that kind of sustainability, change, growth. They're the things that I want to build into. But we're also now moving into kind of ESG strategies and social value strategies. Because again, our clients need us to. So I'm bringing in the experts to develop my team and then we'll then pay that forward and, and develop 
really solid ESG strategies within the communications mix um, because it all fits with the same value set. I've been in that space for, what, 17, 18 years now um, when I was famously interviewed about the inconvenient truth on Sky News. I'd only been recycling two weeks at that point. But, you know, those kind of thought leadership pieces is what's started my career. Um, and I've always been true to those value sets about doing the right thing because it's good for business, but it's also good for the community around us. So if they've got the balls and they want to grow, how would somebody get in touch and find out more about more media? Well, we have a very lovely website, which is under reconstruction at the moment, but it's janemoremedia.com. Um, or they just reach out to me on LinkedIn, Jane with a Y, more with an E, I should say. Because uh, I'm not Jane Moore from The Sun or from Loose Women, <laughs> although I have once had a payment check for uh, off the News of the World magazine years ago, where I'd done an article for someone and then I got her paycheck a couple of times. <laughs> but I did send it back because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> so, listen, I can highly recommend uh, you and the agency because, obviously, as I've mentioned, we work with loads of your clients, and the great thing about uh, the people that you work with and then introduce to us often is that. Um, we're never short of material uh, and we're never short of guidance in terms of what's going to best support. You call it guidance, I call it kicking your head Those members, yeah, yeah. It's usually it's guidance. Um, And and we love working with you. So, you know, it's been great to to chat to you today. And um, I know that we're going to work together lots, lots more in the future. And here's the next decade, Jay. Absolutely. Upwards and upwards, Frank. Thanks for coming into the Downtown Den. So that's the latest in our Meet the Partner series. We'll be back again very soon here in the Downtown Den. Thanks for listening. And uh, don't forget, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Cheers. Cheers.